0: Uh, let's pray together. Lord God, we do uh, sing hallelujah to you and praise you together this morning. God, I pray that as we uh, just sit here for a moment in your your presence, that you would uh, prepare our hearts for your word and for your spirit and for the intersection uh, of of those things with our heart that only you can do. God, we, we would ask, and I, and I pray that the prayer of every heart would be, that you would do for us. Uh, this morning, right now, here on the spot, what we cannot do for ourselves. God, we pray uh, that you'd move uh, this morning, move with power. Pray in your name. Amen. I haven't had the chance uh, to meet most of you, so most of you don't know who I am, I don't know who you are, Uh, and normally that would mean I take some time and give you an introduction and we make a connection and and I help you understand who I am and where I'm from. Instead of that, I don't want to use my time that way this morning, so I'm just going to start by using the words of St. Francis of C.C. as he was on the road from his village to Rome to the capital, and the words of St. Francis were these, hi, that good, that enough? Are we connected? Okay, because I want to go. Uh, we're going we're gonna to be talking about the book of Job this morning. And, and here's what I used to think about the book of Job. If you want to turn to Job, we're going to be in Job chapter 1 and chapter 2. But here's how I used to understand the book of Job. I used to understand the book of Job this way. Uh, that the story of Job is a story of uncommon suffering and pain. Pain in the extreme suffering that is, is uh, beyond what the, the human experience is. And it kind of worked like this. This is how I thought it worked. We have this picture of uncommon suffering. Why do we have it? So that if I can see God at work in the midst of uncommon suffering, then all of a sudden, surely I can see God at work in the midst of my piddling little life and problems. That's what I used to think the book of Job was about. Here's what I think it's about now. I think the book of Job is in the Bible because the story of Job is all too common. It's not uncommon. The story of the book of Job is a story about loss. It's all about loss. And if there's anything that is definitive of life, it's that. It's loss. It is the most common thing that we experience if we live, is loss. Life is loss. Loss, this room is filled with loss. Loss of dreams. Loss of jobs, loss of homes, loss of relationships, loss of resources, loss of health, loss of life. Life is loss. It's the most common thing that there is to life. So then I thought, okay, well, then the book of Job is this. It's this common story about loss. But then the question is, where, uh, why, why does God allow bad things like loss to happen to good people? Why does God allow... Good thing, bad things to happen to good people. Now I've come full circle and said, "What do good people do when bad things happen?" The question is not well, "Where is God when it hurts?" The question is, "Where am I when it hurts?" Where is Job when it hurts? Where are you when it hurts? That's the crux of the book of Job: is how are we going to respond to loss in life? It's all about loss and it's all about response. And and. Uh, we, we, in the first chapter of the book, I've got to tell you this up front. I, I preach this at my church over in Sisters in, in 12 messages, okay? I'm going to give it to you in one. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to have to hammer this thing this morning, okay? Chapter 1, here's what's going on in Chapter 1. Uh, you think in Chapter 1 that Job's being put on trial, right? Job's going to be tested. It's the testing of Job, the trial of Job. That's not it. Here's what's going on in Chapter 1. It's the trial of God. God is being put on trial, He's being put on trial by the accuser. Satan comes with an accusation, and his accusation is against God. Here's his accusation against God. God, you are only worshiped by those you created because you have bribed them to do so. You are not intrinsically worthy of worship. And God, if you would remove your favor, your works in the life of your people, you would no longer be worshiped. That's the accusation. And the whole setup in the first chapter of the book of Job is that God's being put on trial, Satan's the accuser, and the witness is you and me, Job. Job is the witness. And the whole point of the book of Job is this. It's the belief, it's the faith, the belief, that against all odds, the response of one person matters. That there is eternal consequence to one mortal's response. That when there is loss, the response that I have to that loss is as a witness in this great cosmic drama and trial that is unfolding with this accusation against God that he is a briber. That is the only reason that he is worshiped. So it's all about loss, it's all about response, and we have. As human beings, we have default mode of response. There's a default mode of the human heart. There's a way that we, we just respond. It's how we're wired. It's how we're made. Uh, I, I'm going to uh, tell you a story that can be a template. Okay? This will be a template of human response to loss. It's a story about myself. About uh, 10 years ago, I uh, uh, went on a missions trip to Latvia. And uh, prepared for this trip, was ready to go and, and preach the word and train pastors. And We had a sister church in Latvia, so I was all geared up for this trip, planned way ahead of time. And one of the things I did when I was planning way ahead of time on this mission trip was the absolute necessity of having an aisle seat on my flight to Latvia. And it's a long flight to Latvia, I want to be rested, I want to be ready to go, I want to sit on, I don't want the mission trip to start till I get there, okay, so I want to be on the aisle and have uh, my comfort, have my space, get my rest. So I get it, I got it all reserved, I'm on the plane, I'm sitting on the aisle, and, and, and you already know the story, I mean, you know what's going to happen is, is I happen to be sitting next to some guy's fiance, and so he comes up later, says, man, dude, is there any way I could sit with my wife? fiance. All right, right, I'm going to have to do this. If somebody finds out I'm a pastor, man, I'm done. I'm going to have to do this. If I don't do it, I'm I'm cooked. I'm going to have to do this. It's like, yeah, yeah, sure, pal. Uh, So I get up and I head uh, to where his seat is. Of course, it's in the middle. It's in the middle of a couple people. I wish I could tell you they were the kind of people that should have bought two seats and that kind of thing. They're just normal people. But I was in the middle. I'm sitting in the middle of these people, and I am not happy about it. I'm like, God, I'm trying to serve you here. Can you give me just a little bit of love on this? I, I just wanted a little comfort before I get over there. I'm going to live for two weeks in discomfort. I just wanted to have a little space, a little time. Now I'm jammed in here. I can't even. And I'm just kind of grousing and mumbling and grumbling, and I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, God intervenes one of the last people to come on the flight comes down and they're sitting across from this guy in the other aisle seat. So I'm watching. I'm like 10 rows back and I'm watching. And he's trying to find a place to store stuff. So he opens the overhead container that's right over the guy where uh, I was sitting. And he opens the overhead container and this square stainless steel box tumbles out of the overhead container. And the sharp edge catches the guy that's in my seat right on the forehead. So he has to go He's down on the ground. He's bleeding. The flight doesn't take off for 45 minutes because they're doctoring this guy on the floor of the airplane. And I'm sitting 10 rows back, and here's me. Oh, (laughs) praise you, great Jehovah. You are the God of wonders and miracles. You, oh, God, you, you restore the righteous, and you punish the wicked. That is the default mode of the human heart. That is what I am wired for right there. Things go well, God is an awesome God. Things don't go well, God, are you not seeing me? Do you not see my life? And what Job does is he takes that internal wiring and God through Job says, I am going to rewire your response mechanism." I'm gonna rewire it I need to take this apart and I need to rewire you because naturally that is what you will do that is what you will always do that is where I always go on my own and Job we're told has a righteous response what do good people do when bad things happen we're told let's start here in these, these verses, that Job had a righteous response. Verse 22 of chapter 1. We're going to jump between the end of chapter 1 and the, and, and the mid part of chapter 2, because there's two times, if you know the story of Job, two times that Satan is given by God the leeway to go and test Job, and test out and see, what does the witness say? What does the witness say? Does he say that he has to be bribed in order to to give honor and allegiance to God, or does he do it anyway? So twice he's given leeway to do it, twice Satan returns, and twice we get to see how Job interacts with this. But listen, both times, both times in Job's response, we're told this. We're told that his response was righteous. Verse 22 of chapter 1, in all of this, in how Job responded, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. In all of this, Job did not sin. Okay, Job, I need to learn this. What did you do? What am I supposed to do? That is a sinless response to loss. Second one, uh, verse 10 of chapter 2. In all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. God goes out of his way twice in these two responses to make very clear to us as the reader, Job did not sin. Here's a righteous response it's a devastating loss and, and uh, Mike Mason uh, has written some good stuff on this and, and I love how he phrased it, he said uh, one of Satan's big uh, uh, cards that he likes to play is the glamour card, to somehow think that, that when, when in relation to our attitude, if we, we beat Satan uh, at cancer that that's what matters and the common cold isn't as important or he talks about beating him at the corner store is as important as beating him in the concentration camp. The glamour, we can't let glamour distract us. That whatever the loss is that you and I face, it is every loss is an opportunity to bear witness, to be a witness. And Job does it without sin. What does he do? That's a, a sinless response. Before we get to that, I'm gonna show you what he could have done. What he was supposed to do, according to several sources. I go to verse 11 of chapter one. Uh, we have to back up for this one, uh, but this is what what Satan hoped, thought, schemed that Job's response would be. And it and really it is just simple. When there is loss, I have two options. You have two options, and one we're going to look at here, and one we're going to see later that Job did. These are the two options. <laughs> These are the ways we'll go. And here's the first one, verse 11. Uh, this is uh, Satan talking, but stretch out your hand, touch all that he has. Here's option number one. He will curse you to your face. Option number one, curse God. Satan is convinced that a creature, a creation, will curse God when, when his comfort, his, his well-being, his, his, his lifestyle, the things that he has in life are removed. Satan is convinced he will curse God. Uh, Tolkien in, the, 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 um, in his trilogy uh, talks about, uh, in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, he talks about uh, Sauron. Who, he's describing Sauron, who's roughly analogous to Satan. And he, he's describing him in his self-absorption. He describes him this way. Uh, the only measure he knows is desire. Desire for power. And so he judges all hearts. And so he judges all hearts. It's a great description of the evil one. Because he doesn't know any other way to live life but through self-absorption. He has no other reference point but self. He assumes that that will be true of mere earthlings like us. And so he assumes there will be cursing of God. Job's wife, in a fairly familiar place, comes to Job and what she say to Job? The same thing that Satan said. She said, Look, Job, it's time to end this. Look at, look at how she phrases it. Uh, verse 9 of chapter 2. And then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. So, yes, Satan will and can use those closest to us to work into our lives to try to get us to do the very thing he wants which is to curse God one commentator had a great description of this it says Job has lost his children but this wife he has retained for he needed not to be tried by losing her he was sufficiently tested by having her (laughs) but you gotta be a little fair to her okay she's lost everything she's lost everything and she's saying to Job, I mean, you've got to look carefully at the word she uses to Job. Why are you holding on to your integrity? Now, we tend to think of integrity as why, why do you continue to do righteous acts? Why do you continue to do good things? That's not what integrity means. When she says, let go of your integrity, Job, she's saying integrity is integrated. You're, you're integrated into something. And she's saying, Job, what are you integrated into? You're integrated into God. You and God have this connect this relationship, this bond that you need to break. Because here's, here, here's what I'm fairly certain of. If I were to survey you this morning and say, are you a God cursor?" I, my guess is, I mean, I've heard funny things about Ben, so I, so I don't want to be presumptuous, but my guess is the majority would say, no, no, I'm not a God cursor. I don't... Drop four-letter bombs on God. I don't give him the finger. I don't curse God. I'm not a God. You know what? I'm not even really tempted to do that. Because I think we severely misunderstand this term curse. And you might be surprised and you might find yourself, as I found myself, I'm a God curser. Because here's what curse means why she wraps it with integrity. She's saying you have bonded yourself to God. You need to break that bond. You need to separate the relationship from God. What the word curse means biblically throughout the Bible, what curse means is a deep disapproval. It's to deeply disapprove of something. And the way that you deeply disapprove of a person or a thing is you remove relationship. It's the removal of relationship. What Mrs. Job is saying is, look, Job, enough is enough. It's time to distance yourself relationally from the one you've been bonded to. And so to curse God, the temptation to curse God, is the temptation to distance yourself relationally from God. Now, for some, that absolutely is a blatant uh, act. I have done. That. I did this in my life, in my, my early 20s, where you just say, I'm done. God, I am done. I am turning my back and I'm walking away. Either you don't get it or I just don't get it. I don't want to get it. This doesn't work. This doesn't make sense. And there are some of you, I, I would guess, maybe most of you, who at some point of your life have said, yeah, I have walked on relationship with God. And obviously, <laughs> our world is full of people who have walked away blatantly from relationship with God. But here's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about our churches who are full of people who have walked away from relationship with God and maybe don't even know it. Maybe don't even realize that I am cursing God. My response to loss is to curse God. I do. I have. I am distancing myself from relationship with God. I have pulled back. And if when I pull back at any level from that relationship with God, I'm cursing God. I'm saying, I don't approve. I don't approve of you. And I need distance in this relationship. That's cursing God. Oswald uh, Chambers uh, puts it this way. I think it's a great quote. If you are a saint, and this is where I think this applies more to us maybe within the church. If you are a saint, God will continually upset your program. And if you are wedded to your program, you will become that most obnoxious creature under heaven, an irritable saint. There's nothing worse, in his words, than an irritable saint. One who says, all right, God, there is loss in my life. I don't know what to do with this loss. And so my natural reaction will be to distance myself from the one who could prevent this loss. And so we distance ourselves relationally from God. All kinds of ways, <laughs> most of them very subtle. Of, yeah, God, when 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 uh, things made more sense, my heart was more engaged in worship of you. Uh, there was a hunger for your your word. There was a draw uh, to your people, God. I don't like what's been going on. And and that slight cynicism comes in that I I don't like how this all works. And a step back. And every step back is cursing God. And Job's wife, she nails this. She says, curse God and die. Because when you curse God, when you step away from relationship at any level, you begin to die. You begin to shrivel and shrink and your heart. And relationship dies. Uh, A great example of this for me was uh, I have four kids, 10, 8, 5, and 4. And my 8-year-old Jed, when he was 5, Ken will tell you this with four kids, you don't get time alone with one of your kids unless it's extremely intentional. Uh, You you just have to plan that. So so the way I do that is because I want some one-on-one time with my kids. I take one a week out on a date. I was taking Jed out on his date. This is for us to have dad and son or daughter time. So this is our time to connect, to relate, be together. We get in the car, we're in Sisters, and and for date night, it's always, man, we got to go to the big city. It's time to go to the big city and live it up. So we come to bed, okay? (laughs) And, man, it's like big night, all right? Um sidewalks have rolled up in sisters by six and, and we're gonna come in and, and, and be in the nightlife so we come into bed and uh, we don't have flame broiled burgers in sisters we only have grills so we come and we have to go to Burger King because okay? this is a big deal so so we're going to Burger King and we're driving in we got a 30 minute drive this is when we start talking and relating and and my kid Jed who, who, who loves to talk to me we're connected is not talking He's not saying, I can't get him to talk. I'm asking him questions. He won't talk. He's got a strange look on his face. I mean, we go 15, 20 minutes. I'm trying to figure out what's going on with him. Finally, I'm like, Jed, what's the matter, bud? What are, you, what are you thinking about? Something's bothering you. I said, Dad, will you not take even one of my French fries tonight? I'm like, dude, what? what would ever cause you to think i would take your french fry where does that come from dad i'm serious will you not even take one i don't know we'll see <laughs> so we start playing this game we get in we get into band we order he's got fries i don't and i'm reaching every once in a while and he's jumping and Man, he's froze. We can't talk. We, we got nothing going on. He's guarding these things the whole meal long. So we're an hour, hour and a half into our date night, and we are not relating okay? because of these French fries. And what I finally realized is that I want to just grab them and look at them and say, Jeff, do you realize I bought you these French fries? These are a gift from me. Jed, I could take all these French fries, not just one. I have the power to take the whole pack. Jed, not only that, I have a credit card in my pocket with a credit limit that would allow me to go get a thousand packages of French fries. And you're going to hover over these and guard them? And we are not going to have relationship because you're so busy guarding your stuff you don't want to lose it that you're going to pull back from relationship with me. And that picture has burned into my own head of exactly what it is I do with God. God, I don't want to lose my stuff. I don't want to lose my dreams. I don't want to lose my hopes. I don't want to lose my relationships. So God, I've got to guard this. And in guarding, you will die relationship will shrivel and relationship will shrink and something something has to change the wiring, like I said in the beginning the wiring has to change because Job didn't do this Job didn't curse Job did not step back from relationship Job did the opposite and the opposite of curse let's look at it is this 120 this is what Job did Okay, we're going to start with what Job did and then what Job said and this is his response, and I would put both these together and I'd say what Job did and what Job said was he blessed God. He worshipped God. You either curse God or you bless God. Those are the only response options we have. Okay? And what Job does is he blesses it. But what does that mean? Look at, this, look at this verse, this powerful verse, verse 20. Then Job, there's nine, and I'll tell you this, there's nine Hebrew words in this verse. Nine Hebrew words, five of them are verbs. This is one action-packed verse, packed with action. And look at what he does, and we'll point out the five verbs. Here's the the verb. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. We tend to think, man, this dude's losing it. And his, our version of losing it is God's version of, and he worshipped. And he worshipped. Job takes this word, that becomes a stagnant, sterile word, this word of worship, and he breathes life into it. Worship rises up. Worship tears its robe. Worship shaves its head. Worship falls to the ground. The word worship means to be prostrate on the ground in utter submission before someone. I don't know if you've ever done that. If you've ever just, honestly, just prostrated yourself before the Lord. I'm talking toes to the ground, knees to the ground, arms, hands, palms to the ground, nose to the ground, prostrated yourself before the Lord. In utter submission, more can happen in a moment of utter submission, prostrate before the Lord than hundreds of sermons and studies. Job worshipped. Job worshipped instead of cursed. He moved into relationship. When he, he, he rose, he got back up. When he, when he shaved his head, that was a sign of, of shame. Hey, this isn't clean, this is messy. I mean, he shaves his head, he rips his robe to show grief. He falls, not because he can't stand, but because he wants to get into that prostrate position. It's, if anything ought to destroy the idea that, that Christianity is some stoic, form of religion, that that the response of God's people is is a, a nice smile and a praise Jesus when life is not going well. This ought to destroy that. This is emotional realism. This is somebody grabbing their heart out and throwing it down before God. That's what Job did. Now look at what Job said, because this is critical, okay? This shows his heart, where his heart at. But then you got to see what he said, because this, this underlines the blessing of God. Here, here's what he said, verse, verse 21. Verse 21, and he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked shall I return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Last phrase, you know the phrase, you've sang the song probably a bunch of times. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name be the name of the Lord that was the content of his worship instead of curse he blessed what does it mean to bless to bless means this if you were gonna summarize everything you could find biblically about this idea of, of bless I, I'd summarize it in this little phrase to bless means to give deep approval to something or someone to deeply approve of somebody or something So Job's saying, blessed be the name of the Lord. I deeply approve of your name. Name meaning character. In in the Hebrew language, name always reflects character. So if you're going to summarize what Job said, it's this. I deeply approve of your character. In the light of all my loss, what, what, what most comes out of my heart as I'm prostrate before you is I deeply approve of your character. Curse him, reject relationship with him. Bless him. Deep approval of his character, and when Job, he, here's what I think Job understands that 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 that, that I'm maybe just coming to understand. I, I tend to think, you know, my worship of God is offering sacrifices to God. Yeah, God, I will give that up. I'll give, it's it's much, it's much less about offering sacrifices to God, and it's much more about being a sacrifice to God. Being a sacrifice. Saying, yes, God, I am the sacrifice, not my stuff, me. And and here's what happens. When when Job falls down in this way and he blesses and and he says, I deeply approve of your character, nothing, nothing could dishearten Satan more than that. The very thing he's using to get Job to curse God is the thing that gets Job to bless God. The only one cursed here is Satan. Uh, Shakespeare has a great line in Othello. It goes like this. The robbed that smiles steals something from the thief. The robbed that smiles steals something from the thief. My response, your response matters. Matters. Here's what this reminds me of Job. (laughs) Thing after thing happens to him, he keeps coming back up. Did you ever have when you were a kid, did you ever have one of those blow-up toys that you you would knock over and they bounce back up? Know what I'm talking about? Knock them over, bounce back up. They make all kinds of them now, different kinds. I still like the original, okay? I brought the original with me. This is the original. And you get the idea, right? Knocked over, comes up. Nothing nothing more clownish than somebody who keeps getting knocked over and comes back up. But why? why? Why does Bozo come back up? When he's knocked over, why does he keep coming back up? Because what's in the bottom, the foundation of him, is much heavier than what's in the rest of him, right? So so the, the, the weight that's in the bottom dictates where he's going to end up. Is that a fair way to say it? The weight in the bottom dictates... You can knock him over to the side. The weight in the bottom dictates where he's going to end up. You can knock him over backward. Weight in the bottom dictates where he's going to go up. Knock him forward. Weight in the bottom dictates where he's going to end up. Because here's the worst thing you and I could do. The worst thing you and I could do is to hear this kind of a message and go out and say, that, you know, he's right. I will start blessing the Lord right now. I bless you, Lord. I deeply... That's not how it works. Blessing the Lord is a behavior that comes out of you. It's what comes out of you naturally that is an unnatural thing. And it will only come out of you if the weight at the bottom is substantial enough to bring you there. You have to have beliefs that are weighty enough to bring you back up you don't get up by willpower that will be short-lived you have to have strong enough beliefs (laughs) that bring you back up and that's exactly what it was with Job when you look at the last part of what he's going to say is that that there there are beliefs Job holds on to some beliefs that are the beliefs this is the work I have to do the work I have to do is not to try to I gotta stop cursing and I gotta start blessing the work I gotta do is do I believe this do I believe this and if I don't believe it to let that break my heart and repent of that but Job had a fundamental belief that dictated his behavior his belief led him to worship and bless the name of the Lord what's his belief let's look at it Job 121 we read the uh, first part of this but I'm gonna read it again Okay? it's two verses that I think did just articulate this belief job 121 and he said naked I came from my mother's womb naked shall I return the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away go to verse 10 of chapter 2 first part and then this will help complete the idea same idea stated differently speaking to his wife shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil job is saying these two verses he has a deep-seated belief I deserve nothing you know who the worst person is to fight the worst team to play is in sports the one who has nothing to lose right you don't want to face somebody who has nothing to lose And Satan doesn't want to face somebody who has nothing to lose and Job's saying I have nothing to lose I don't deserve anything nothing belongs to me I have nothing to lose That's why I'm free to keep getting back up. Job has somewhere in his life, has come to grips with this fundamental tenet of of a follower of God that says, I have no rights. I have abdicated my rights. I have taken on the position of a slave. I have no rights to food. I have no rights to drink. I have no rights to shelter. I have, let alone, do I have rights to a job, a pension, eight hours of sleep? I have no rights. There is nothing that I deserve. There is nothing I have that I wasn't given. He gives it, he takes it away. And that belief, that fundamental belief that is rooted somewhere into Job is the belief, it's the only belief, it's the only hope, the only power that will cause you or I to bounce up and say, blessed be the name of the Lord. I deeply approve of your character. It requires that level of belief that says, I am owed nothing. And that's why... The the, the chief thing that Satan will do to you. It's his, his, his primary tool to use with religious people is to come in and tell you, no, you really do deserve something. You have been a faithful Christian. You have stuck at this longer than most people. You have chosen the narrow road. You do deserve a look. It is Satan's primary strategy. He's going to use with the religious people is to tell you that yeah, you, you really deserve certain things from God, a certain level of things from God, as recompense for all you've done for Him. That's why uh, screw tape letter C. S. Lewis is writing, and, and you know the story there with the uncles instructing the the junior demon how to how to get his his target off track. And here's his instructions. And this is how you're going to get your your new Christian off track. Listen to how he words it. Men are not angered by mere misfortune, but by misfortune conceived as injury. The sense of injury depends on the feeling that a legitimate claim has been denied. The more claims on life, therefore, that your patient can be induced to make, the more often he will feel injured and, in result, ill-tempered. And Job has come to understand, I have no rights. I have abdicated my rights by interchanging one kingdom for another. I have given up all earthly rights. I forsake the system of this world that tells me I am entitled to certain things, to certain privileges, to certain payoffs, certain amenities, certain expectations. I have abdicated that for a new kingdom. And in this kingdom, my only rights are the rights that are not of this world. Because Job didn't get this way when, when the situation uh, fell upon him. And I don't get this way, and you're not going to get this way in the midst of trial. This is practice. I have to practice this belief and say, is this really the belief that I hold? I use this phrase in my church all the time. I, I literally, sincerely try to preach myself the gospel every day. I have to preach myself the gospel every single day to remind myself, you deserve nothing. Nothing. There is nothing in me to merit anything from God. And I have to, to look to Jesus as the only one who will melt my heart enough to this belief where, where what will come out of me is I bless your name. I approve of your character. I have to look to Jesus. Jesus is the only hope to be saved from this sin. You have to look to Jesus and say the one who is entitled to everything gave it all up. He was the only one who was entitled and he gave up everything he was entitled to. He was entitled to the, the activity of God in his life to accomplish what he wanted done and what would have been most comfortable in, in his life. He was entitled to that, and he renounces that. He was entitled to the approval of God the Father, the deep approval of God the Father, and he gave it up. He said, I will endure the, the scorn and the shame and the separation. He was entitled to the affection of God. He was entitled to everything that anybody could be entitled to, and he gives it all up. And when I look to Jesus, if I will look to Jesus every day and look to him and say, you gave up, the only one who's entitled gave up everything. I deserve nothing. I deserve no intimacy with you. I deserve no clean record. I deserve no right standing. I don't deserve to be used by you. I don't deserve, the only thing I deserve, the only thing I deserve as a human being is eternal separation from you. I deserve today, I deserve hell on my own merit. So anything less than that, that's going to be a good day, God. If if I deserve that, anything less, than that is a good day. And here's the weighty belief. The weighty belief that has to be at the bottom of my life, and the bottom of your life is this, that I could be stripped. You could be stripped of everything and lack nothing. That you have every spiritual blessing, every sense of security, every form of, of approval and a righteous record they have all that I could be everything could be taken away and I lack nothing and if that is the weighty belief then here's what you will do this is what will happen this is what will come out of you. you'll say I deeply approve your I deeply approve your character when you give I deeply approve your character when you take I deeply approve your character when my kids, Serve and follow you. I deeply approve of your character when they resist you. I deeply approve of your character when my house is warm. I, I deeply approve of your character when I have no house. I deeply approve of your character when the market's up, when the market's down. I deeply approve of your character when I have health and when I'm sick. I deeply approve of your character when those I love are born and when those I love die. Curse God and die. You will shrivel. Your heart will shrink. Worship God and you will live. Let's pray. I want to read you a prayer that Brennan Manning's spiritual director, wrote for him. It's not easy to make this prayer, but this is my prayer. May all your expectations be frustrated. May all your plans be thwarted. May all your desires be withered into nothingness, that you may experience the powerlessness and the poverty of a child, and sing and soak in the love of God, who is Father, Son, and Spirit.